my name is Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from The Godfather. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. Walking with a limp like, will I ever run? Once again, or is this it? Am I forever done? Living in the hospital was never fun. Some people were cool, but not everyone. Welcome, everybody. It's time for another Hollywood Godfather podcast. And I'll introduce the lady first because I was brought up right. Julia, our co-host, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. And my partner in crime and many other things, Pat Pitcherelli. <laughs> good evening or good afternoon, wherever you are. Okay, Julia, uh, tell us what we're going to do today because we have no idea. Yeah, definitely. So today's show is about a gangster who grew up in Harlem who, by the young age of 15, was involved in crimes such as larceny, assault, and armed robbery. So after many stints in jail, he continued to climb the ladder of authority among the gangsters in New York and took care of anyone who would defy him. He was Joseph Bonanno's advisor and eventually tried to take over the Bonanno crime family from the recognised boss, Rastelli, and he even bombed Frank Costello's tomb when he died just to send a message. So today's show is about Carmine Lilo Galanti. What a pleasant fellow. Oh, mm. yeah. Anyway, and, you know, the funniest thing, I'm the only one out of the three of us that had met him. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I was I was very close to it. Uh, I had mentioned it. But he was dead when you met him. <laughs> no, no. Well, that was the second time I met him. Oh. But uh, no, he. I used to hang out at a place uh, that I've... Uh, mentioned in other podcasts a place called the beef east so a bar by the entrance to the queen's midtown tunnel on the manhattan side lilo had a few families uh and he lived with his mistress that family he also had children with her uh on 33rd street which was at a block and a half away from the bar and uh i saw him twice over the course of, of years and he was always surrounded by bodyguards. He was not a very well-liked guy. We'll get to his past in a minute. But this was truly a scary guy. I mean, he was he was small. And he was as tall as he was wide. So the guy's about five foot five uh, and heavy. And uh, he had these black eyes. I mean, uh, you know, he, he walked out of, it was uh, an apartment, I believe, on the north side of 33rd Street. And I happened to be walking up the block, going somewhere, or staggering to my car, whatever it was. And he just glanced at me as people will glance at each other. I looked at him. He looked at me. And he's fearsome, dead eyes. I said, here's a guy. I didn't know who he was at the time. And I said, here's a guy that I don't want to be acquainted with. And that's and he, he struck fear into everybody. Well, O'Neill had those eyes, too. There's a lot yeah, of well, I, 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 I uh, never had the pleasure of meeting him in person. You were a good friend of his. But, uh, I mean, you know, Galanti was a certified, this is one of his claims to fame, I suppose, a certified psycho. When he was in prison for the first time in the intake process, those of you who've never been in prison, I hope you never go. But uh, during the intake process, depending on what prison you're in, it could take up to 30 days. And they run you through a battery of tests, including a uh, psychological test. And he was uh, classified a psychopath. And for those of you who don't know what a psychopath is, it's a person who has absolutely no empathy, doesn't care. And as an example, when I was talking to Julia before the show started, he can shoot you, your family, 
strangle the dog, whatever vile act of violence he can commit, and go out and have dinner with his friends and laugh it up. No feelings whatsoever. And that's the way he was born. He liked to uh, tell people that he was born in Italy, but he wasn't. He was born in uh, East Harlem. And uh, just to give you the lay of the land, there's an East Harlem, there's a West Harlem. And everybody that doesn't know the city uh, likes to categorize them as all one Harlem, just one's on the east side and one is the west side. But it was divided ethnically. Uh, west Harlem on the west side of Manhattan uh, was uh, inhabited by uh, African-Americans. It was about the same. It was small. It was larger than the, uh, the, the east side of Manhattan version of it. On the east side was a big Italian enclave. And it was since the uh, end of the, uh, the 1800s. And when it started to be shared with uh, the, the uh, Hispanic community, it was always known from there on in as Spanish Harlem. You never heard it uh, referred to as Italian Harlem, but it was run basically by the Italians on 116th Street was the main thoroughfare. Into oh, this Specifically the Genovese family. That was often, uh, it, one of the and, major crime families of New York City. Of yes, New York State. Into this area comes uh, Carmine uh, uh, Gigante. He's uh, born uh, at, at, at the turn of the century. He just automatically, you know, he had no, you know, if you, if you live in that area of, of Harlem, you're around gangsters all the time. But when you're, when you're young, when you're seven, eight, nine years old, you know, you see these guys, you know who they are, they're part of your culture. But he had it ingrained in him. He just wanted to be a violent criminal. That's all he wanted to be. So at 15 years old, he does his first stint in jail. This is what he, he first got caught at. Prior to that, he used to enjoy beating people up. And a lot of it, I think, had to do with his stature. Uh, as a, a lot of small men do, they want to uh, broadcast the fact that they're more than their lack of height. But with uh, Galante, it was by hurting people. So he, he graduated from uh, fights to his first uh, stint in jail. It was for petty larceny and assault, uh, which at uh, uh, the following year when he was 16, he uh, got arrested again. He did his first stint for armed robbery. So he went to Sing Sing for three years at a very uh, young age. And uh, he started his cigar habit as a teenager. And that's how he got his nickname, Lilo, L-I-L-O, which means cigar in Italian. One of his first crimes out of prison uh, was to continue uh, his armed robberies. But he had a beef with a local beat cop. His name was Di Castilla. And he was just a foot patrolman. But uh, Castilla used to push Galante around because he could. Uh, not saying who's right, who's wrong here, but you can't take it out on, on, on a cop in front of witnesses. But Galante uh, uh, never forgot how this cop embarrassed him. So one of his first, one of Galante's uh, first armed robberies was uh, of a shoe company. Back then, you got paid in cash if you worked for a, a company. Payday, these companies had lots of cash, depending on how many employees they had. And people would come to get the money. Later on, that got changed to checks. There was no such thing as direct deposit. 
you had to take the check and go somewhere to cash. But at, at this time, so in the early 1930s, and the reason this date is important, I'll explain it in, in a couple of minutes, but he gets his crew together. This guy's a young man. You know, he's a teenager. He gets his crew together to rob this uh, shoe manufacturing company. And uh, they were taking their time. And, you know, Galanti was the boss, despite his, his young age and his physicality, his height and all that. People were afraid of him back then. Uh, the cop who's been pushing him around, the shoe company happened to be on, on his post, what a lot of people call a beat. When you are on the foot patrol in the precinct where you work, that's your steady post every day. That's your steady beat. And uh, as you'll see, Giganti picked that shoe company because it was this cop Di Castillo's post. So they go in there, they gather up all the money, it was $7,000. But Galanti had something else in mind. He was waiting for the beat cop, C Castillo, to respond to the alarm. And Castillo walks in the door and Galanti executes him. Leaves the money, tells his people to leave the money, and they took off. Sending a message. Sending a message. But what kind of a mind as, as a teenager, you know, killing cops back then was a death sentence. And it's not that you got caught, convicted, and executed somewhere in prison. The cops executed you. And, and, and this went on. For a long time, I would say up until the late 60s, 70s, you killed a cop, your number was up. He didn't care. However, no one was talking uh, for obvious reasons. Well, yeah, but I mean, the guy, as you pointed out, he's certified a psychopath. Like, he has no conscience. He has no rules. He plays his own rules. I know, but didn't he think in the back of his head, you know, you, you, I just killed a cop. So my, my only uh, saving, the only way I can save myself here is to tell everybody, to keep their mouths shut. Now you try that today. <laughs> you know well, today you couldn't even do it. People were taking pictures while you're shooting the cop. Well, not, not only that, but the, <laughs> everybody has the, cameras. <laughs> but one of your crew gets uh, gets a traffic ticket for going through a light, and they flip. <laughs> I mean, everybody flips. Yeah, no, but when you when you when you have the fear of death, there's been a couple of bosses that we all know through the history of the mob. You never talk about it to them about them because they will go after you and your kids and everybody else. And, you know, well, we know many of them that we spoke about on the show and, you know, he was the one guy that, and the, the way I met him earlier, the one guy that liked him and, and he respected him also come and respected Frank Costello. Frank Costello saved his life a long time. And one of the, as we get into your story, you're going to find out that, Frank Costello had to okay killing him. Did you know that? Just him? Yep. Well, you know, there, there was, you know, we don't want to get ahead of the story, but to respond no. to what you just said, people were, were, were leery of trying to whack this guy because if they screwed it up, he would have killed everybody. Yeah, but, well, okay, I mean. So they went to Costello, who's, who made a decision. That it had to come down from him because at that time he was still running things. Yeah, but uh, and, and that was it. So, but I mean, you know, there was a lot of people. Well, listen, when they made the hit on Albert Anastasia, everybody was petrified of this guy. He'd yeah. just rather than look at you. So, I mean, 
there are a lot of these guys that came through, but today we're talking about Carmen Galante, but that that whole this guy's alive today. Yeah, I, I yeah, won't the, talk about the, the era produced these kind of people. Right. You know, they they wanted power and they would do anything to get that power. So uh Carmine uh, fresh off killing a cop, and like you said, he just told he, he told his crew, keep your mouth shut. But the word gets out, but there was going to be no one that was going to flip testify against him. Everybody knew who, who killed this cop. But to, to this day, it remains, and I'm using air quotes here, you know, it's unsolved. Right. But fresh off the cop killing, he decides that they're going to stick up a brewery. That's where the money is. It was a payday. Same thing as like in the, in the, in the shoe company. They steal $4,000. This time they take the money. And uh, while they're uh, uh, leaving, there's a truck out there, a beer truck, and they decide that they're thirsty. So they're going to break into the beer truck. If, after, after committing an armed robbery, they break into the beer truck to have some beer, to drink it. And uh, that's obviously very sloppy. Hopefully and, it was cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, who does that? You know, you just stuck up a place and now you're going to have a couple of beers to celebrate. You do that in the next borough. You don't do it in front of the place. You know, the, the guy, the company owned the beer truck. Anyway, they were taking their sweet time and a, a, a detective named Joe uh, Minahan spots them and the uh, the crooks decide to, to make a run for it. Uh, and they started... Uh, to run, but Galante, and this is why I uh, I mentioned how old the was, how old he was. It was in the early 1930s. He screams at the cop, "Eat lead, copper!" I mean, Jimmy uh, uh, James Cagney just made a movie called Public Enemy. James Cagney, uh, for those of you who don't know who he is, he played he he made for the, at least the, the 1930s and early 40s made a career out of out of, out of playing gangsters tough guys great he's actor about, he's, a, he's a great actor he's about lilo's size and lilo takes one of his lines from public enemy when he got when cagney got in the shootout and said eat lead copper now galanti's saying it and he starts shooting it out with with, with this uh with this detective some six-year-old kid gets caught in the crossfire uh and gets gets hit in the leg uh, the 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 uh, detective was shot five times. Did he die? No, he lived. Uh, uh, you're old enough to remember this, John. You, you remember those uh, overcoats? In fact, I had one. Oh yeah. The, the, the overcoats that cops wore in in the winter were called horse blankets. Yeah. They were so friggin' heavy. And, and they wrapped long. around you. It was like double-breasted. So you had yeah, they were huge, and they were very heavy, and they were very thick. Right. Uh, uh, but they kept you warm. Because uh, those were the days when the, there weren't many uh, radio cars out there. Most cops Wanted were done foot. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, the coat stopped the bullets. Uh, at, at least slowed them down. So it, it, it was assumed they weren't using, you know, they were getting guns off the street. 32s, 38s, you know, th there was no such thing as a nine millimeter, at least we didn't have in this country at the time. That's a well, round. I was shot 14 years ago. If I didn't have my fur coat on. There you go. Your story. Yeah. You remember? Tell us that. Yeah. That was it. I had a, a chinchilla coat on. It was <laughs> November 22nd. 
And the doorbell rang. They said it was DHL. And I was getting my my vodka and different things from DHL from Italy for me to test at the time. I didn't approve it yet. And shot me close range with 38s. And uh, fortunately, I was only six blocks from New York Presbyterian Hospital. But if it wasn't for that coat, I would have bled out. How many times in your head? Six times. But they got on me. Perforated all my large intestines and small intestines, all of my groin area and my stomach. Wow. <laughs> I mean, and, and it, you're right. The coach saved your life. Oh, the coach saved my life. And not only that, not, not to uh, divert from the story, the fact when uh, Dr. Tuwari, they removed the bullets, and he, he was the guy who created the prostrate um, robotic surgery and went in and damaged nothing in my time. Just remove the bullets. Yeah. Another doctor would have went in. I would be a basket case. I'd rather I, die. But tell you, that, what, what they discovered, though, that why, my, why is the left side of my body different than the right side? And long story short, that's why I'm on a stem cell program governed by the government. <laughs> They're using my right side stems to build my left side. And now my same shoe size fit. I used to wear a different shoe on my left and my right. So you're, so what you're saying is you're in a government pilot project with these stem yeah, cells? Of course. And, and, and this costs you a grand total of what? Nothing. That's what Nor I, <laughs> I know. Normally it would be $35,000, my yeah. original treatments. I tell you, you were saved for a reason. And I assume it wasn't to be on this podcast. But you, I mean, you're very so lucky. My, my whole life story is that, you know, <laughs> Everything that's negative turns to positive for me, fortunately. But I don't suppose I don't suppose you want to get into who shot you. No, 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 no. Let's, okay. let's go on with Galenti. <laughs> okay, let's let's get on with the cop that was shot five times. Four bullets were stopped by this guy's overcoat. And uh this coat has been known to stop a lot of rounds. Just was this guy who just wasn't lucky. So four rounds were stopped, one round uh hit him in, in the leg. And the only thing I, I, I can think of was that the flap of the coat. Flapped no. open, he got hit in the leg. This didn't stop this uh, Minahan, this detective from chasing Galante. And what kind of shape do you have to be in where where, where a cop you just shot in the leg catches you? <laughs> well, that's how and, fat he Galante was. He couldn't run. And, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> and he did. This time he returns to Sing Sing, where he was well known. Twelve and a half years. Whoa. Uh, clearly, armed robbery is not this guy's forte. Hello. And, Sir, was he just not very smart? He doesn't seem like a very smart. No, he's a bully. Yeah, he wasn't. I mean, he, you know, he didn't he wasn't him. calculated. You know, he, he'd sit on these armor robberies and that. That's what he knew. Yeah, how to, how to steal. That's all he knew. You know, when you say uh, intelligence, he was extremely street smart, mm. not book smart. And you no. find that in a lot of these guys, they just never go to school. But they survive on the streets out of out of guile and and wit, and uh, they just and brawn, and yeah. Fear. Well, obviously, this that's what this guy did. Yeah. Only when, when you see him uh, for the first time, perhaps people didn't think that this guy uh, was who he was, and he didn't care who you were, how how big you were, how tall you were. He fight you, mm. and most of the time, win. He was just an animal. Mm. So, but. Even animals have their soft side. He was, uh, he had two, and I use the term loosely, wives. 
he had children with 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 both, uh, but he was uh, legally married once. His wife's name was uh, was uh, Helen. Uh, Johnny, you, you know the area probably better than I do when it comes to uh, uh, churches. Our Lady of Sorrows. You know where that is downtown? No, I don't. Is that in the Bronx? No, it's in Manhattan. In Manhattan? No. Yes, yeah, it's in the Little Italy section. They said, but then Our again, Lady of Sorrows. That's the Lady Queen of Peace. That's down oh. there. That's about, that was my parish for a long time. Oh, that's a long time ago. Anyway, his mistress. Uh, he spent twenty years with her. Her name was Anna Aquavella. And I'm reading this, and I said, "Boy, did she invent the aftershave?" But that's Aqua Velva, right? Okay, I, I had that. I had that confused. All right. So he's released. So anyway, uh, uh, Julia, what do you think? It's just a typical guy that you'd meet on the street. Uh, he, he might see you. He might like you. He might ask you for a date. And who knows? One day you'd be Mrs. Carmine Galante or somebody similar. Because he did have a soft side. Now these guys don't act tough. When they want something. Oh, they're very charming. Yeah, uh, yeah. Women. Uh, most of these guys of that type are that way. You know, they're, they're very charming. You don't even know. You know, but it's when they turn and they could turn on a dime. <laughs> the, uh, uh, a, a, a psychopath I think we can all relate to was Ted Bundy, who was uh, an infamous serial killer. They had on uh, something like 29 killings, but he killed a lot more women. He only killed young college-age women. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and he killed a lot more than 29. In fact, he tried to save his life when he got finally got caught. There's some, something you can never understand, though. Uh, he, he went out of his way to go from uh, Bellingham, Washington, to Florida as a fugitive and killed two women in a, in a sorority house. Florida has the death penalty. I mean, he, he didn't plan this at all. He goes in there with a tree limb and beat them to death. But anyway, he was caught and executed. Uh, yeah. As he was about to get executed two days out, he said, I will tell you where the rest of the bodies are if you spare me, if you don't give me the death penalty. They thought about it, but they said, well, you're going to take it to your grave then. But that's we're getting off track here. The point is, Ted Bundy was a charmer mm. and a very good looking guy. Uh, he had a girlfriend for many, many years uh, who had no idea what he was doing, uh, you know, what his hobby was, so to speak. Uh, but you can go on, those of you who've never seen this guy, go on YouTube, and there was cameras allowed in his Florida trial. And this guy looks like a movie star. I, I can't uh, describe him any other way. Had a very engaging smile. He had so many women that that wanted to uh, marry him even when he was in prison he was just a, 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 a he was a charmer like johnny said these people can charm when they want something and when mm -hmm. he wanted to get close to you bundy would put the charm on and using his looks which galanti obviously did not have he would get any woman he wanted yeah oh, I was, I was gonna... i'm sorry go, go ahead. i'm sorry oh no that's i was just gonna say yeah um you can definitely tell that he was a Charm, I mean, there was the Ted Bundy tapes, which was released on Netflix documenting like Ted Bundy's life, and he was played by Zach Efron. Um, so yeah, definitely they would he would have had to have been a good looker if he was played by Zach Efron yeah. in America. Sorry. <laughs> and you just you know, for you know, 20 more seconds on 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 Ted. He had he had the same approach. He had his arm in a cast, and he would have a van type vehicle, and he would go to a beach, a park. And he would be trying to struggle 
to get furniture into this van with one arm. Hmm. And sure enough, some uh, woman would approach him because of the way he looked. He looked neat and clean, good looking, and ask if they could help get this piece of furniture. It was usually a couch. And he would say, okay, step into the van and I'll just push it to you. And he pushed it in. Then he jumped in the van, slammed the doors, and they were dead. Now, when he was being pursued by the police, this system of, uh, of getting his victims was broadcast. And he continued to get them using the same ploy. Anyway. Uh, was that? Bundy, I think that has a lot to do. What year was that, Bundy? Uh, Bundy was from the uh, 70s through the 80s. Yeah, See, that, was, that would never happen today with with all the telecasting of. Yeah, no, it wouldn't happen today with, with social no. media. No. Social media would get this guy. Uh, there'd be some idiot that would make a uh, you know a, a Ted Bundy fan club, but his his pictures <laughs> would be plastered all over the place. Right, it's, exactly. The time changed, so he gets out of prison on, after this twelve and a half year bit, nineteen thirty nine. Uh, he decided he needed steady work. Arm robbery uh, apparently was not for him. He became a hitman for Vito Genovese. Uh, I mean, what, what do you do to apply for that job? You know, but anyway, he was, he, he liked to kill. Uh, and al although uh, authors who've written about uh, Galanti say that the number of his victims are, are, are uh, unaccountable, the NYPD linked him to 80 murders. That's just the ones they linked him to. Right. She, uh, that, that's when he got close to Costello. Costello liked him. And was trying to, you know. Really? Yeah, really. Well, figure it out. Vito Genovese and Costello. Hello. Uh, not the best of friends. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the people that aren't aware of it, we, we brought this up in the past. Hitmen uh, that, are, that are in the mob, they don't get paid for this. They're, they're just ordered to whack this guy, whack that guy. They don't get paid. No. A, a guy, a guy like Galante, would enjoy this, and I, I actually see him volunteering for the work. Uh, but that's you know, get getting paid. You know, the the uh, the hitman that charges a thousand dollars for a hit for the mob. That's all a fairy tale. Yeah. No, uh, that, to them it was a privilege to do the work, especially exactly. you know, you you uh, for your first hit that 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 may get you made, get your button, so right. to speak. After that, you had to really like the work, unless you got assigned to it, you had to do it. And usually the work you got assigned to was killing your best friend. No. Because you were the person that could easily approach this person because he was your friend and would not expect to die at the hands of his friend. So that's that's why, you know, we we wrote, wrote about that in Sixth Family. Yeah. When, you know, if, if it wasn't Frank Collada, they would have never came to Chicago. We're talking about the Spilatros and yeah, they made them feel comfortable, but that, that was the whole tradition. And this is going to sound very strange to you because I used to go down after church at precious blood and go to the Ravenite just to pay my respects to the old man. And anybody, I know in this, I learned this later on in life. I was in my teens, Well, you weren't allowed in the Ravenite before 12 if you weren't a made man. Is it midnight? Excuse me? 12 what? Noon or midnight? 12, no, 12 noon on okay. Sundays. Yeah. That's when after church on Sundays, they'd go to church and go back up there and and everybody that was a, a made guy had a problem. Their meeting was set up for, for them to come. 
and discuss what their problems were from the other boroughs. Mm. Then the other guys were outside. So those guys were the guys waiting to get an assignment to do a hit to try to earn their button. I mean, this is. It takes, you know, you got to rationalize this because all these guys aren't crazy. You know, so you, you have to rationalize this, that uh, this is that they're soldiers. This is a war and you're assigned to kill the enemy. That's, and that's how rationalize the mentality. That's the mentality. Yeah. And, 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 and it, I, I sat there, the, the point I was trying to break, uh, mention, you know, the old man, I mean, Gambino and O'Neill. Without me getting that education, I probably wanted to get a button. I would have been easily lured by 16 to 17 to well, be you know, I can, see, I can see that. I mean, from that you neighborhood, know. I mean, I'm from that neighborhood. You're either going to go one way or the other. Yeah. But I can I can see the allure. These guys dress well. They have all the women they want, nice they cars. They work. The yeah, big and, thing, they didn't go to work. <laughs> but, but when you and I used to see them, they were... They were like preening, prancing around the neighborhood. They weren't oh, doing yeah. the crap they had to do in life. Uh, you know, the, the murder. And, I mean, it's just, I don't know how these guys live with themselves, even though if they're trying to rationalize. Right. But uh, Galante uh, killed one person. His name was Carlo Tresca. Uh, this was a, a, a famous hit. He was a journalist, labor leader, a committed anarchist. Who spoke out in this? This was in this country. He spoke out against Stalin and Hitler, and this was starting uh, uh, at at the start of the war. This was in the early early uh, early forties. Uh, even though he was an Italian immigrant, he hated Mussolini, and at any chance he got, and he got an audience. He was very well known in this country as a labor leader. Uh, unfortunately, you know uh, Mussolini's. One of his very tight friends was Vito Genovese. Hello. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, and uh, Mussolini picked up a phone or whatever he did in 1943 and said to Vito, this guy's got to go. And uh, uh, Galanti, one night on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 15th Street, and I mean, I can picture the neighborhood now, which is very crowded, the high end uh, apartment buildings. Uh, Union Square's right there. He just walked right up to him, shot him in the back of the head. Doesn't care about witnesses. <laughs> doesn't care about anybody. And down he went. And then, you know, in, in history books, this assassination is, is still talked about because they assume that Mussolini was behind it. And if you were a cop in it, uh, on the job at the time, you knew who did the hit. But who's going to talk about it? No. no and, I mean, and, that, 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 and that's what he had going. And I mean, he had such a respect. From the higher anarchy of the of the mob and end the syndicate, because he'd do any hit you wanted. He didn't care. Obviously, the hit is just you know high profile hits are very dangerous. Uh, not for the fact that you know you're going to get hurt doing the hit, but they go all out trying to find out who did it. You know, and well, you you picked on two subjects that is definitely taboo. You don't shoot a cop, yeah. and you don't shoot a journalist. <laughs> it's go. an unwritten law. Unwritten law. I mean, if, if you're in any of the families, even in Chicago, anywhere, it's an unwritten law. Stay away from police and journalists. You know, in fact, you know, all these years, you know, through the, the through the twenties, prohibition again, whack left and right, and the the, the the subsequent years up until today, one journalist has been killed. 
Jake Lingle, his name was. Uh, he, he worked for Chicago newspaper and he was owned by the mob. Yep. He's got me $46 a week, literally. And he owned homes, he owns cars, he had money in the bank. He stepped on somebody's toes. And to this day, they don't really know who, who, who ordered it, but he's the only reporter in American history to get killed. Uh, that said, Lilo walks up behind Tresca, calmly puts the gun, it was a contact shot, right to his head, shoots him, turns around and calmly walks away. Uh, a bunch of witnesses saw him do it. A bunch of witnesses saw the getaway car, uh, which they found abandoned a couple blocks away. They even got the plate of the car. You know, the, the, the car was stolen. And they, they saw, uh, they had witnesses putting Galante getting into the car before the hit. Still, nothing. So with, say, like this murder sort of, I guess, being categorized as a sloppy killing, how did he still have so much respect from, you know, the higher ups? If Because he got the job done. They don't care how you did it. Oh, okay. They don't care if he was taken out. He didn't have to be creative. They just wanted the guy dead. Okay. How you did it, it's your problem. If you got <laughs> caught, it's your problem. Yeah, you, you could figure if they would have hired, if there was such a thing back then as uh, a, a professional killer, it would have taken weeks, if not months, to, to, to plot this guy's schedule, where he goes, where you, you're going to shoot him, where there won't be any witnesses, plot your getaway. Lilo says he, he gets the job on a Tuesday, Wednesday, trust gets dead. Okay. You know, that's just the kind of guy he was. So by the so anyway, the, the crime was never solved. And by the 1950s, Galante, uh, by virtue, if you can use the word, of that hit, uh, became somebody to be uh, reckoned with. So he becomes the consigliere to Joseph Bonanno uh, of the Bonanno crime family. He was the namesake of the Bonanno crime family. Interestingly enough, and maybe you can explain this, Johnny, uh, Bonanno writes a book or the book was about him, and it was a bestseller called Man of Honor, right. about his life. Galanti worked with Bonanno for years. He's not mentioned once in this book. That's why the they had. Hello. <laughs> and Bill, his son, who okayed Bill, Bill Bonanno, yeah. he knew Carmine very well. Right. And if you want your tongue cut out and, and stick somewhere else, he knew he would do it, and that's why nobody yeah. mentioned his name. I didn't. I didn't know whether they had a falling out, or he's just said, you know, the, the wise move is not to mention this guy's name. That's <laughs> yeah. it. Nobody that's did. No, nobody did. If you want to stay alive, you know, that's the whole situation, and that's what gained his respect through so many people. I mean, he he could overhear that you don't like somebody, and he come to you the next day and said. You know that guy you were talking about last night? Don't worry about him. He's not around no more. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> he just did your favor. Like, you know, he, he took him for a ride. He's done. Okay. At that at that happy note, what do you say we do a commercial? Please. We need the money. Yes, we do. We'll be right back. Thank you. We are pleased to announce the publication of a new book series from Gianni Russo and Patrick Piccarelli entitled The Sixth Family. When the alleged daughter of Marilyn Monroe asks for help, Gianni Russo becomes entangled in a web of lies and violence in the search for the late actress's diary. Soon, he is enmeshed in a mystery that involves a presidential candidate, a disgruntled mafia copo, a retired NYPD detective, and the past of mafia boss Frank Costello. 
Russo must race against the clock to stop a hostile reorganization of the American Mafia while trying to stay one step ahead of a faceless killer. While listening to this book, skillfully read by Gianni himself, the listener will have to determine what is true and what is fiction. Or as Gianni says before this epic story begins, this book is a work of fiction, except for the parts that are true. Look out for the second installment of this exciting new series coming in 2023. The Sixth Family. Book One is available now on Amazon.com. All right, we're back. And we want to ask a millennium who knows nothing about crime, came from another country, who has low crime or no crime, what are you thinking about all this, Julia? This is an education for you and our young audiences. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, I sort of have a question going back a little bit. We were sort of talking about um, how, like, you know, with Ten Bunny, obviously he had a girlfriend that didn't know. With like the wives and obviously like the mistresses of like you know Galanti and other um, you know people in the mob. How much did their wives know? Like, obviously, you know, he was in and out of jail, so they would have known, you know, to some extent. But was it very often that, say, like the wives of mobsters knew exactly what they did or were they just in the dark completely? Or What what I've learned to know personally is that they just turned another eye. If he was paying their rent and they had kids, they didn't upset the apple cart. That's just the way of life. I got friends who are still married and their wives come to their funerals and cry and their girlfriends are sitting three rows back. <laughs> you know, it, 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 there was a system here. Well, first of all, you know, the, the wives, this was part of the culture for one. And two, there's a lot of money coming in. And, mm-hmm. you know, they like the lifestyle just as long as hubby came home. And generally, the rule was Friday night for the girlfriend, Saturday night for the wives. Yeah. Okay. Well, went- you know, it's so funny you brought that up. At the Copacabana, I was like 16, 17. And I'm talking to Carmine. And I said, that ain't that guy's wife. He said, Johnny, it's Friday night. So what does that mean? No, Friday <laughs> night, they take their girlfriends here. And then Saturday night, they come back with their wives. <laughs> yeah. Same place, same table, same waiters. Same everything. <laughs> Hey, long time no see, you know. And so, I mean, it's the lifestyle. And that's another reason I think guys get lured into it because it's basically an excuse to be a bigamist, even. <laughs> yeah, you know, but the, there were a few wise guys who didn't uh, toe that line. They, they didn't cheat, they didn't have girlfriends. They, they they just believed in uh, in 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 the mob, and they didn't want to bother. I personally don't know of any. Do you? Uh, yeah, Carlo Gambino never had a girlfriend. Frank yeah. Costello never had a girlfriend. They had lady friends, but they never took them to bed. They liked the charm of them, but they never crossed over. The old timers. No, those guys I know. I mean, then, then there's other guys that, in that same age group had girlfriends. You know. <laughs> Did they Only believe? Did they believe in the institution of marriage, or they just figured one day I'm going to have a girlfriend and she's going to bite me in the ass and I'm going to prison? No, but you know, I, I, you take a guy. I mean, let's let's look at 
use a figure for anybody who knows what Carlo Gambino looks like. Women ain't chasing him down the block because of his looks. So Costello. Yeah, Costello, but Costello had an air about him. You couldn't approach him number one anyway. People walk up to the street, just two people grabbing you away from him. He had people around him all the time. And he he didn't welcome it. If six women walked up to him, he would just not push them aside, but casually walk away. He wasn't, you know, like for for instance, that our audience may be able to compare to. John Gotti loved it. People would jump up and hug him and kiss him. I I was in clubs where women left their husbands to come and sit with him because he called them up with a wave. Yeah, yeah, I heard and, that. And that's the disrespect of these women. And they go. Husband, and they come <laughs> over. Well, hon, what do you want me to do? He called me over. <laughs> hey, what do you want me to do? Are you nuts or what? You, you know, I, I always thought that maybe uh, uh, John Gotti was a freaking triplet or, or, or a quadruplet. Wherever I went on the east side, he was there. Oh no, he was out every night, man. He every every single night, the best restaurants, three or four ever. places. Yeah, I mean, and then uh, they wind up in regimes, which is the hottest club at the time when he was going. In fact, people would go there just to see him. It was like he was the attraction in the nightclub, and they would send bottles of Cristal over, which that was his drink, and. When he closed, there was so many bottles of Cristal that had his name down on it, on it, you know, JG. That was his cases of them. But he made the club get, you know, pick up the money. They never said, don't send the bottle. But that's who he was. And he loved it. And and people would show up, to, to, you know, to send him a bottle and just nod their head. And, oh, I was with John last night. He was with John. He was across the room. I bought him a bottle of champagne and drink. I, I used to go to a, a, a restaurant who's uh, a couple of uh, storefronts away from uh, Dangerfield's place. Il Caminetto. Do you remember? Oh, name? yeah. Hold on. I was a heavy. I was there. I, um, I'd always go on a Saturday night with a date. You know, I was, I was a single guy. Uh, two to three times a month. And I, I'm hard pressed to think of a Saturday night when this guy didn't at least stop into the bar with his entourage. Uh, Gotti. Uh, always, he that oh, was he his, knew it was I, a hot place, and if there's any women, he's gonna pick them up. That was his launching point. Yep. Then they leave there, and and they go up up, up Second Avenue and, and hit all the bars. But yeah. anyway, back to our friend uh, Carmine. Uh, it was this was about the time when there was a, a connection made with uh, it, Italy uh, with with heroin, and it was dangerous to get involved with heroin. The, the bosses didn't want you to be involved unless they got a piece and, you know, a little wink and give me the money under the table thing. But still, the feds had an eye on it. And that's that's what you had to worry about. Carmine Galante wanted to get involved in this because he was Carmine Galante. He wanted to be the first kid in the block to be the king of heroin, therefore gain the power, the money. And he was he was happy to do it. He didn't, he didn't care about going to jail. Uh well, he had a great connection through the Bonanos. The Bonanos had a heroin yeah, they, connection in Sicily. Nobody had. They 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 try to put wiretaps on the Galanti's phones. The only problem is they never knew where he was. He had a he had a, a family downtown with his with, with his wife, uh, and then it was his girlfriend who I called Aquabelba, uh, in Midtown. He also had a family in New Jersey with a woman. Uh, they had kids. They never knew where this guy was. So uh, they could they. They couldn't get him on a, on a wire. Uh, 
but he was finally indicted in 1958 on uh, uh, heroin charges. Coincidentally, there was a uh, it was delayed by a mistrial because the jury foreman, uh, talk about luck, the jury foreman had a near fatal fall down a flight of stairs. Now, what are the odds? Mm. You know, uh, in an abandoned building, nobody lived there. <laughs> and he, he fell down a flight of stairs. Guy was an elderly man. And I asked you, what's what's an old guy doing walking around uh, an, an abandoned building in the middle of the night? He said he just went out for a walk and he just had an urge to go to the top floor when they threw him down the stairs. He lived, but there was a mistrial. But by 1962, uh, I, I guess they started to have anonymous juries. He was uh, convicted on a conspiracy to evade narcotics laws. Received 20 years, didn't blink. Did the time, and he he made himself at home in prison. He took up the game of handball. Handball, for those of you who don't know, is a New York game. Yeah. And it, uh, uh, there's there's a lot of hustlers in it. Every schoolyard, every every playground in the city, which is all concrete, had handball courts. And these people used to play for big money. And uh, you know the, why handball was a big thing in New York, in the Lower East Side, and and and, and for families. Was that? They couldn't afford tennis rackets. <laughs> that, that makes sense. And that's the truth. You, you literally hit. And this was a hard rubber ball. You didn't. I mean, I, I played handball, but to learn the game, you couldn't actually swat the ball with your hand. It had to sort of roll like off your whip. hand. Yeah. Yep. You would yep. hurt yourself. This was a hard, small rubber ball. And if you try to hit it like you would swat a fly, you, you'd, you'd be bone bruised. It hurt. Anyway. Yep. Uh, Galanti, uh, as any other kid that was brought up on the East side, uh, knew the game somewhat, but of course, Galanti had other things to do. He was busy killing people, winds up in jail, decides he's going to be the king of handball in whatever prison he was in. And, uh, but he, he, he set down the rules, whoever he played, he says, I am to win all the games. And that's it. And that's it. When one opponent, I guess a guy that just arrived, who maybe was Irish, didn't know how this guy operated, uh, he uh, disobeyed the rule, beat him, and Galanti walked up to him, slapped him in the face, and says, I rule everything. And when, when I get out of prison, I will show this to everyone. That was the quote. Needless to say, the guy never beat him in handball again. So while he was in jail, who, if you guys know, would have been looking after things for him on his end outside of prison? Like, did oh, it's inside of prison. Julia, those guys, when they went to jail, they had people that cook for them, people to do their errands for them. Mm. He could order what he wanted. The guards would bring it into him. John Gotti was known to have a phone for two hours every night and talk to anybody he wanted. It was a guard's phone. They right. run the prisons, and outside, the family's still running their families there out of fear. Their envelope still came on Sunday. Their wives still got their money. That's what we were talking about before. The real wives got the money mm. to the family, and then if they respected the Gumadis, they got an envelope too. So why not be around these guys? <laughs> now, just to, just to show you the, uh, let's call it the gall. Because uh, there's a lady present on on uh, uh, Carmine, 
gets out of jail in 1972. And all this time he was in it, 20 years he did every day of it. He's plotting to be the boss of bosses. He wants to take over, period. And nobody's going to stand in his way. So he goes to, to the Bonanno family. Uh, by this time, uh, it was the boss was Phil Ristelli and just said, I'm the boss. Ristelli, who was the boss, really didn't say anything. Like it didn't even happen. So Galante is running the Bonanno family. Ristelli is running the, the, the same family. And Ristelli was afraid of him. Now, Ristelli had a problem. Ristelli got involved in a shootout with his arch enemy, his wife. Whoa. Over, over the breakfast table. They're trading rounds. Yeah, his wife, I mean, they ought to write a book about her. She was, she was a winner. She got pissed off at something, forgot to take out the garbage, whatever it was. She pulls out a gun, he pulls out his gun, and they start trading shots. So, fortunately, how did they I, live? There must be bad aim. Very carefully. Across the, <laughs> across the breakfast table? I wouldn't, yeah, go to, yeah, I wouldn't the, come the, home again. Forget the about it. went flying. I mean, it was, uh, uh, but anyway, you know, something like this happens. You know, uh, you're viewed as weak. Do you think it's possible? I mean, he gets in a gun battle with his wife. Uh, anyway, uh, he was still the boss, though, because once you're the boss, it's kind of hard to get deposed, even though you show weakness. Other people may want to take you out. There's a whole bunch of protocol that's got to be uh, uh, followed to, to, to take out a boss. Things aren't running smoothly when you have two bosses. The Bonanno family was in turmoil. Do you know any, you know a little about that at that time, Gianni? Well, yeah, I, I mean, they, they exiled him to us. Uh, Joe Bonato's gone. Yeah, he's gone. And he's he's trying to run it from there. So the street boss is running it up here. And they were constantly at odds. So so they got three bosses trying to run a family. Right. Which leads to, a, I would imagine, a, lots of conflict. No, but so the who is who is making all the money, and they didn't give a sh they didn't care, <laughs> basically, because the street kids were selling the heroin, making a ton of money under their umbrella. Man. Talk about unorganized or disorganized, disorganized crime. crime. So, by the late 1970s, uh, uh, Galanti was, uh, he organized the murders of uh, eight members of the Gambino family. Uh, we had a, a, a rivalry going on because of uh, fighting over heroin territory. Uh, he was on parole by 1978. Uh, Galanti's parole was revoked for allegedly associating with Bonato uh, mobsters and he sent back to prison. However, in 1979, a judge ruled that the government illegally revoked Galanti's parole. I wonder what passed through it. How do you revoke <laughs> parole? You know, when you're on parole, you cannot consort with known criminals, which means everybody oh. he was dealing with was a criminal. How do you say, whoops, the government made a mistake? Was this a federal crime that he got locked right. up for? They said, no, he didn't do anything wrong, and, and, and they let him go. And now the war is basically on. And this is when he starts bumping heads with Costello. Uh, they were longtime rivals, but now time is marching on here. You know, uh, uh, Carmen Galante isn't getting any younger. And uh, by that time, Costello uh, Costello dies, what, 1973, Johnny? Yeah, yeah, yep. right. 73. Galante, just goes to show you what a nut this guy was. He, he planted a bomb. Uh, at at uh, Costello's Mausoleum in Queens, St. John's Cemetery, is right where I live. As revenge, just to show disrespect. The, guy was, the nice. guy's dead. <laughs> and this wasn't the first time. Every year, a bomb would go off for about three successive years. 
that it was Galanti. What's he trying to prove here? You know? no, he was just, well, like you said, he was a psychopath. Okay, so now Galanti moved very quickly because, like I said, time's a waste. And he becomes everything from uh, pornography to mozzarella cheese. He had the corner on importation of mozzarella in this country. You wanted pizza? You, you, were, and, you had to buy it through his people. Yeah, you, you had to buy it through, through Galanti. Uh, you want to see a, a pornographic movie? And there was no internet back then. All of the, the uh, pornographic, the pornography uh, 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 movie theaters were on 42nd Street between Broadway and 8th. You couldn't walk down that street. Oh, that there, street. Long before Giuliani cleaned that up. Oh, yeah. but yeah, well, That street was just, a, you walked down that street during those times, Julia? Mm. They had girls in in, in uh, garter belts on the sidewalk. You think you would think you're in the yeah you would think you're in the Reaper bomb in Jeez. Germany. Forty oh no. Second Street is known as the crossroads of the world, and it's the most traffic street. There had to be eight or nine movie theaters on each side of the block. This is one block. Now I was working on Forty Second Street uh, with the Tactical Patrol Force. We were sent there to clean it up. Are you kidding me? <laughs> there, I mean, it was virtually impossible to do without an act of God or the government had to move in. Did. But just to show you how crowded it was, uh, uh, at TPF, we, we worked in pairs on foot. So on one side of the street, there's four pairs of cops. So there's eight cops on one side of the street, eight cops on the other side of the street. If I was to look left or right, I could not see the other teams on the block. I was able to see across the street. But it, uh, if I needed help, or my partner and I needed help, which we did on occasion, because once you make an arrest, people are literally shoulder to shoulder, literally. And you try to put handcuffs on somebody, you're in a fight for your life. The mm -hmm. cop, the other, the other team could be maybe a hundred feet away. They don't know what the hell's going on. That's where the porn theaters were, and he was raking it in. Yeah, uh, he, he he was he was the king of porn, and soon he wanted to be the boss of bosses. But they had to get rid of this guy. He was yeah. bringing media attention. He was killing his own people. So they put out a contract on him. Uh, and they got to be careful because if he would have survived, there would have been hell to pay. He would have killed everybody, whether you were involved or not. Uh, this is basically his brazen attempt to uh, corner the market on heroin. Uh, everybody was involved. So Costello, did, did Costello have to go to the to the other four families for sanctions? I guess he had to, right? Well, yeah, well, they yeah, well, they they wanted it. Number one, they all voted for it. So I'm sure that was a hundred percent, no problem vote on the first ballot, so to speak. Right. Hello. So okay, July twelfth, nineteen seventy nine. Now, coincidentally, that's my that's my birthday, not nineteen seventy nine. July twelfth is my birthday, and I was I lived in Queens, and I was at a friend's house on the Brooklyn Queens border. Costello was already dead in seventy nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Costello's already gone. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, Galanti is 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 trying to flex too much, and he's really aggravating a lot of people. So he had to go. There was a restaurant on uh, Bushwick Avenue uh, uh, in in the Bushwick section, it was on Knickerbocker Avenue, two or five Knickerbocker. I passed it numerous times. Joe and Mary's Italian restaurant. This was a mom and pop restaurant. And when you known walk for it, it was known for it. It was crazy. Yeah. But when you walked in, it was very narrow. And when you walked in, I mean. You can you can smell the place throughout the neighborhood. It was you know really rich Italian sauces. And it was it, it was the place to go. You know check a tablecloths in the back. 
there was a yard. Yeah. Fenced in. And uh, if you wanted some privacy, which uh, which which uh, Galante did. And you could smoke his cigar out there. And he could smoke his cigar. Even his though he, he could smoke anywhere he wanted. <laughs> but uh, he, I, I guess he also wanted a little privacy. So he's got a couple of people with him. Uh, Leonard uh, Coppola was a, 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 a Bernardo Capo uh, and, a, and a staunch uh, Gigante loyalist. The restaurant owner slash cousin Giuseppe Toronto was a Bernardo soldier. Also sitting at Galanti's table were his two bodyguards who had a lot to say in Galanti's demise. One of them, uh, Cesare Bonaventure, was uh, uh, his picture was taken that day. He was a tall, lean guy, very handsome Italian guy. Once again, all the women started to, you know, trying to reach out to this guy. And the other guy was uh, Baldessari Amato. They were his bodyguards. But 2.45 p.m., three masked men entered the restaurant. Now, he obviously... Galanti gets assassinated, but there were two other people killed there that day, too. You don't hear about these guys. It was the two people that he was with. Uh, two ski masks, uh, uh, three ski mask uh, shooters come in, shotguns and handguns. They walk past other diners. The bar was on the left. The waiters, they just walk on through. Um, you can't hide a shotgun. These weren't sort of shotguns. These were big weapons. And uh, Galanti, Toronto, and Coppola were, were, were killed instantly. This was... On uh, 1010 Winds, 1010 Winds, if you don't live in uh, New York, was the first 24-hour all-news station. And uh, every 20 minutes, they would come on with different headlines. Well, that's this, what made them such a popular thing. Oh, yeah. Anything that was going on in the city, you could find out in yeah, 10 and the, Where they got 1010 from, that was the uh, the designation on the dial, on the oh, AM dial, was the AM station. Yeah. So I don't know, whatever, wherever I was with my friends, we heard uh, uh, this restaurant. Uh, Carmen Galanti shot it. I have to see this, right? So, I we it was the you know it was a hot July day. It was my birthday. I'm with my friends. We all had a couple of beers in us. I wouldn't have done this if I was sober, but I decided I'm going to go there. I was uh, was I a lieutenant at the time? I was a sergeant. So I just wanted to see it. I had a morbid curiosity. I couldn't get anywhere near this place. Uh, they had the whole block roped off, but I was on the block anyway. Uh, Albert Seidman shows up. Albert Seidman was the chief of detectives. If you ever saw an old gangster movie and the uh, the chief of, of, of detectives was all the same type, burly guy, pork pie hat, always had a cigar in his mouth. Uh, <laughs> old time chief, chief of detectives. The detectives loved him. He was a great guy. This guy even had a, he had a, you know, uh, any, any bosses from sergeant up, their shields are gold, not real gold, but they're gold, some kind of gold metal or painted gold or whatever it is. Uh, Albert Seidman had a real gold chief of detectiveship, solid gold. Anyway, he hated Galante. All cops hated Galante. He walks in there. Now, there's a, an iconic picture. You can go on the internet now and just put uh, go to Google, put Carmen Galante's death, uh, and you'll see his picture. He's laying on his back. He's in an awkward position. Perforated with bullets. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you get hit with shotgun blasts. I mean, this is not a touchdown photo. It's still out there. Uh, you can see it online. He's there. His arms were like hanging up like a marionette. He looked like it's. He's got a cigar sticking out of his mouth because that was his trademark. I'm thinking this guy gets blown away with multiple shotguns. The first thing that's going to be ejected is that cigar. So the word was that when. Uh, 
uh, Albert Seidman showed up, chief of detectives, is a big deal. He walks in there before any pictures were taken. He said, hold it. And he took out a cigar and stuck it in his mouth. Now he said, you can take the picture. That's what he was known for, Lilo. Hello. Yeah. Mm. So the, the, uh, the end result was uh, the bodyguards, uh, I don't know. <laughs> People came in, they had guns, uh, you know, and they were gone. It all happened so quickly. The bodyguards set them up. Uh, there was nobody there to protect uh, Galanti. The bodyguards weren't chastised as the mafia will chastise you sometimes uh, for not for not doing their job. He was buried. Galanti was uh, buried in Queens. His lawyer showed up, Roy Cohn, who was a mob lawyer of major right, lawyer out of Florida. Uh, yeah, but uh, you should read. We should do a story on this guy. But anyway, we're not. He's still alive. He's good friends of friends of mine. He's still uh, in Florida. Cohn died of AIDS. When? 25 years ago. Oh, no, I'm not talking about Roy Cohn. Who's there? Yeah. A, a black, black. Oh, Roy Black, you're talking about. Yeah, no, Roy he's, black, he's in right. Miami. Yeah. yeah Roy, Roy Cohn, uh, well, we'll talk about him some other time, but he was he was a, a mob lawyer. Anyway, uh, uh, Galanti's uh, legitimate wife and his daughter from a second family, who was just as crazy as, as her father was. What a nut. Anyway, uh, her mother stayed out of the, 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 the picture out of uh, respect for the widow. A Catholic church refused a funeral mass. We did a show on this, by the way. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, I mean, it had to be two, three years ago, about why some mobsters are allowed Catholic burial and others aren't. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go back and, you know, and find out why most, uh, the, generally the, the, the criteria was if you maintain the low profile, you were okay. And, and, and made contributions to the church. I mean, you know, we don't want to be cynical here, but you know, a nice contribution helps this guy, uh, his family could have wheeled up a, a truck full of gold and they wouldn't have buried him. They wouldn't have had a pass. Well, the the biggest thing about that was the Miana killings. There was no way they could even in the church on the steps. Not even. So they they finally found a priest who probably uh, was a gambler and in debt. Well, they found him with his pants down in some some cat house to do the mess. He mumbled a couple of words. Probably had a couple of drinks in him, and everybody said this is totally fitting for a guy, and that's the way. Uh, he should go. No one wanted to be around him, even in death. His uh, bodyguards, there's always somebody around that will take care of you. Uh, Bonaventure was found uh, murdered in a New Jersey warehouse in 1984, so was many years after. And in 1987, uh, Anthony Indelicato was sentenced to 40 years in, in prison as uh, a, a defendant for the commission trial. And they said he's uh, he's the, the one that organized the, the hit with the with the hitters and all that. Cesare Bonaventura, I couldn't find what happened to him, but I thought he was killed also, but I couldn't find anything about it. So he he may be living the life, not in this country though. He probably went back to Sicily. That was a great, I mean, a great story. I mean, and, and uh, yeah, what you know, a couple of people and, asked us to do it on it, but obviously. Uh, it's a part of mob history, <laughs> and if I was a such a colorful guy, forget about it. If I was a filmmaker, I'd want to do a, this guy's story on film. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, we can get uh, Pacino to play him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Not the same age. 
Anyway, uh, I'd like to say R.I.P. Carmen Galanti, but he doesn't deserve those words. But that's it. That's it for the, the life, the long life of Carmen Galanti. So, my darling, what what do you what's your synopsis of this show? <laughs> I like watching your expressions as we talk, <laughs> like she's watching a horror movie sometimes on face tape. <laughs> now, uh, Carmine has has a, a grandson that uh, that uh, that saw you, Julia, on a show. He wants to meet you. What do you say if I set you up with him? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Thank <laughs> you. Um, <laughs> yes, I have. If you ever change your mind or, or, or you have some friend you're angry at, just give this guy a call. He's, yeah, he's, he, he's a big Julia fan. But that's it. That's it, folks. All right. Well, I think, and, and this was a result of a, of a request, fortunately. Yeah. And um, so just keep sending in the requests. And we'll do Anything it. in closing, Julia, you want to tell our fans and your fans now? Yeah. Well, no, it was just a very very interesting topic of conversation and especially for someone who lived majority of their life I was going to say after hearing you talk about it he would have spent what at least 30 35 years in prison didn't care yeah it just yeah. it blows it's my mind part of the business of life you know there's a saying no matter how long the sentence is the 20 years I can do it standing on my head that's what these guys used to say that's just what they used to do part of doing business Okay, folks. Well, I bid uh, you and uh, Johnny and Julia good evening. Perfect. And to our audience, we'll see you on the radio. Good night, everybody. Good night. And that was that. And I'll be back. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Want to ask us a question for the mailbag? We love hearing from our fans, so submit your questions online at hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com or you can give us a call at 646-776-3038 and leave a message. Contact us anytime with your questions about past or future shows, your favorite celebrity or anything you'd like to know and who knows, your question may even make it on the air. Remember to follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Hollywood Godfather and at Real Johnny Russo. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review with your podcast provider or your video streaming service we'll be back next week with another exciting show and who knows who we may have on the show if you don't want to miss out on an episode remember to subscribe until next time my life's like scenes out of a movie i'm the hollywood godfather truly i got stories with them all you know celebrities world leaders icons who knows what's next for me i'll never get too old to have a little fun come on i'm gianni russo a genuine one of a kind what a ride it's been this life of mine and i ain't done yet i'll be back until next time and that was that <laughs>